Howdy, friends, and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, I'm very excited about my guest. Her name is Gemma Baird, and she recently claimed a new FKT on the Highland Trail 550 route during her ITT this August. After battling breast cancer and surviving homeschooling her children through the pandemic and turning 40, Gemma was ready to challenge herself. And she did so by setting a big goal. The goal was to line up for the 2022 group start of the Highland Trail 550. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to make the group start, so a few months later, she decided to tackle the route solo as an ITT. In doing so, she set a new record, and on today's episode, we talk all about it. The Highland Trail 550 is set in Scotland, starting in the central portion of the country, working its way up through the northern section with beautiful blue skies and cool mountain streams and locks, as far as you can see. But according to the Highland Trail website, be warned, the weather in Scotland can change on a whim, and you may just as likely find yourself getting besieged by cold, lashing rain and high winds. They go on to say that in short, don't attempt this ride unprepared. No one will be there to rescue you. Bikepacking.com lists the difficulty rating on this route as a 9 out of 10. So any way you slice it, this is a very challenging and demanding route. And my guest today, Gemma, did it on a fully rigid single speed, which adds a little style points on her effort as far as I'm concerned. I really enjoyed our chat. I hope that you do too. And I really appreciate Gemma taking the time to come on and share her story with you and me on this episode. But before we get into it, let us take a moment to thank the people that made this episode possible, starting with our latest patrons. I want to remind you that right now, Hefe Bike is matching all contributions for a limited time. So right now, if you sign up to become a patron of this podcast, Hefe Bike is going to match your contribution dollar for dollar. If you'd like to show them some love and thank them for supporting this podcast, you can do so over at hefe.bike. Now, this week's latest sustaining members of the podcast are Doug Armfield and Kenny Young. Thank you guys so much for stepping up and supporting this podcast. We truly can't do it without your support. And if you would like to find out how to support this podcast and get your contribution doubled up by Hefe Bike, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. All right. Well, today's episode is also brought to us by my friends over at Ruby Coffee Roasters. By now, I'm sure you are very aware of Ruby Coffee, but I'm wondering if you've taken the opportunity to try some of their coffee. Whether you're looking for instant, steeped, or whole bean, and even organic options, Ruby Coffee Roasters has not only a lot of variety, but they are big on quality. 
Not only that, but Ruby Coffee has stepped up to be our coffee sponsor for the Bikes or Death Takeover happening this November at Mulberry Gap. So if you're gonna be in attendance, you can thank Ruby Coffee because they are going to be providing all of your coffee for the weekend. Now, if you won't be at the takeover and you'd like to go ahead and try some out for yourself, you can head over to their website, which is rubycoffeeroasters.com. And after perusing their plethora of perfect coffee for your percolating pleasure, you can put some in your cart. And don't forget to use the promo code Bikes or Death at checkout. That's all one word, Bikes or Death at checkout, to receive 20% off your order. Again, to try this delicious coffee, head over to rubycoffeeroasters.com. Use the code Bikes or Death at checkout. Get 20% off your order. And then you can DM me and tell me, thank you. And I will say you're welcome. All right. Well, speaking of the Mulberry Gap takeover, we got a couple of hot announcements for you. We've secured a couple of guest slash presenters that will be at the takeover. Um, I'm excited to let you know that Scotty Lechuga will be there. We've allotted her about an hour for presentations, and we're kind of fine-tuning what she's going to be presenting on. Uh, but Scotty comes with a wealth of experience. She started as a professional road cyclist, and now she has made a name for herself in ultra endurance bike pack racing. She also is co-owner of LeBorn Coaching and has a ton of expertise, whether it be from a coaching perspective or a racing perspective from many different disciplines. Scotty is a wealth of information. We are so excited that she's going to be able to join us at the takeover. Also, Eddie O'Day. Have you heard of Eddie? He is currently riding the new Eastern Divide Trail. In fact, he is in the process of becoming the first person to ever complete this newly published bikepacking route by bikepacking.com. You can go over there and read the stats if you want to, but this is the longest contiguous off-road bikepacking route in the world, boasting over 5,900 miles. And Eddie O'Day is currently riding it for the first time. And when he's done, he's going to be joining us in Mulberry Gap. And uh, he will also be one of his our presenters and possibly a uh, podcast guest with some live Q&A and all kinds of fun stuff. In addition to that, Maxwell Johnston, who is a photographer you may be very familiar with by name, but if not, I guarantee you, you're familiar with his work. He is the official race photographer for the East Texas Showdown, but his work has also been featured in many bikepacking.com and Radivist articles. He is an awesome photographer and an even better human, and he is also joining our list of panelists. So if you are signed up for the Bikes or Death takeover at Mulberry Gap, taking place from this November 10th through the 13th. You are in luck because we are just getting a stacked deck over here. Um, and if you're not already signed up, that's totally fine. We have spots still available. If you're interested in this event, you can check out more over at mulberrygap.com. Just click on their events section. You'll see it listed there with all the details and a link to sign up. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at bikes at bikesordeath.com. This is a new event. 
It's all about community, riding bikes, education, and fun. Definitely no competition. Well, there will be a scavenger hunt where I think a lot of people will maybe get a little competitive, but definitely stressing fun and friends and bikes and beer for everyone. If that sounds like a good time to you, I hope to see you this November at Mulberry Gap. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. All right, all the bills have been paid, and now we are ready to get to today's episode with Gemma Baird. I really enjoyed this one. I think you will. But before we get to it, let's have my friend Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. How are you doing over in your side of the world? Yeah, um, yeah, good. We had a nice, kind of sunny day after a sort of introduction to winter at the weekend there. But um, yeah, got another sort of last day of late summer. So yeah, we're good. Kids are in bed. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all are just starting your winter there. Feels like it. Yeah, maybe a bit earlier than ideal. But um, yeah, what we're like. Yeah, yeah, it can kind of start to expect some winter weather now. Are you uh, are you based in Scotland? Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of northeast. Um, so uh, just I don't know if you've heard of the Cairngorm Mountains. No. No, they're just it's kind of one of the big mountain ranges, just north of of that, like near Aberdeen and Inverness. I don't know if you've heard of those cities. I have. Um, I've heard of the last two you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in between those and a yeah, a little bit into the hills. So Is that where you're from? Um no, I'm from um further south. Uh so like talk about in Scotland, the central belt where Edinburgh and Glasgow are, where most of the people live. Uh but yeah, I um I grew up near to Glasgow on the west coast where it was very, very wet. <laughs> but I, I only realized that once I moved away. Um, I thought I thought Scotland was wet everywhere, so there's some yeah. parts that are not as yeah, bad. Yeah, we find quite a dry spot in the northeast. It's quite it's surprisingly um, really dry, actually. Just this, this little area. So yeah, I think we're sticking here. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you. Uh, Your microphone. Who, yeah, I think so. Who you got? Is that Sorry. Colin? Husband's just checking that the microphone's on. But. Hey, hey, Colin. <laughs> How's it going? Oh, yeah, yeah, it makes a difference because normally when I'm using this in my work computer, so normally when I'm signing in, it says Gemma. Uh, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, that's the only reason I know your name because it shows up as Colin yeah. uh, on the computer. So I assumed you were Colin. <laughs> I'm just checking the, the audio recorder. So you got your mic on. Cool. I think so. I just press that button. And it seems to be going. Good. All right. Leave you to it. See you later. Cheers. All right. <laughs> Is yeah. that your uh, tech guru slash living husband, or or who is that? Yeah, yeah, he's a bit. Uh, yeah, I have to admit that he's the one. That, uh, he's the techie geek. So, <laughs> um, 
yeah, I just try and remember which buttons to press and reset things and stuff. But, um, so yeah. is he the reason y'all have a uh, have like a mic and the whole setup there? Yeah, he bought that for like recording the kids and um, having like nice quality recordings of them when they're younger. So um, it's been quite good actually. Just so many to remember to use it. It's like anything, but uh, yeah, it's, it's nice um, to have those little memories sometimes better than photos i think yeah i think i mean as a podcaster i think that's pretty awesome what kind of uh is he just recording like random conversations or is he like uh is it more like structured uh yeah he'll just sort of when he realizes the kids are in a chatty mood he'll just get it out and sort of put it in the background and yeah have a little conversation especially when they've got some crazy ideas or something like <laughs> you kind of get that on get that recorded Oh, that's awesome. I love that. I'm a, I'm a father of two girls. I have a, uh, almost 13 and an almost six year old, uh, oh, uh well. girls. So yeah. what, what about your family? What do you have, uh, on your side? Yeah, I've got, um, a nine year old boy, seven year old boy and a four year old girl. Um, oh, well. so yeah, she's kind of like four going on 25. <laughs> the boys, they're taking a bit longer to mature. <laughs> that's so funny what do you mean for going on 25 she's just super mature yeah she just like so on top of it like organizes everybody and she just she's just like she's forgotten that she's four (laughs) she's like a little mom yeah yeah she's like doing doing more than what i get done like yeah she's organizing (laughs) me as well so Um, that's so funny i don't know what we do there Yeah, yeah she's keeping keeping the house in order. It keeping sounds it together, like someone's yeah. someone's got to be in charge, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's what she thinks. So you got the uh, the kiddos asleep there. It's uh, about eight o'clock your time, and uh, so the kiddos are hopefully tucked away for the evening. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know about you, but most parents we only have we only live our lives from like after they go to bed until we go to bed. And so it's like a short window of like free time. And yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing some of your adult free time with me. Oh, no problem. Yeah. It's, I was a bit nervous, but um, I'm looking forward to it as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't hope you don't have to be too nervous. Yep. Plus, like I said, no, no trick questions. What, uh, in that vein, I, I'm curious, like what, prompted you to write the article for bikepacking.com and i wonder if that also ties into why you were interested in coming well in fairness i reached out to you but your willingness to come on the podcast and share your story yeah um yeah it wasn't like an instant uh when i got the request to do the bikepacking.com thing it wasn't an instant like yeah definitely i was kind of a bit like oh that sounds scary and i'm not sure if i can uh, write something that people want to read and stuff but um yeah Alan Goldsmith who runs the event um he'd kind of put up a like a link to what I'd done and there seems to be quite a lot of interest in it um like a lot more than I had anticipated I suppose um and I think a lot of it was around the kind of well the there's a photo of like me and my three kids and I think that made me realize that that's maybe captured a bit of kind of interest from people that it wasn't just like 
I don't know, somebody who's got like maybe a bit more time or like just a different stage in life um, doing this sort of thing. So, yeah, I kind of realised actually maybe I was a bit different to most of the people that are on the start line or the group starts and things. Um, and thought, well, if I can kind of encourage anybody, because honestly, like, a year or two ago, I could not have imagined doing like doing the Highland Trail. Um, it kind of crept up on me. So, yeah, I guess I thought if there's anybody else like me um, who, who might be even like thinking about doing something like that, then I could encourage them. I thought it would be a good thing. Um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, and yeah, the being female thing and the single speeding, I don't know, I, I captured a bit of interest because that's what got the record. Um, so again, that was like the sort of, you know, the title of like getting a record, but I, I didn't really, I, I rode single speed because I thought it was the best choice for the route rather than um, anything else. So yeah, I just thought inspiring women, inspiring mums, um, I also had a like a cancer battle a few years ago, so I thought anybody that's going through that like, could get a bit of sort of inspiration or hope that actually things can go quite well afterwards. Um, yeah, so all those things. Yeah, I think those are all good reasons. And to kind of echo what you're saying, what I, I read your article on bikepacking.com and, and for listeners, we'll be referencing that article and I'll post it in the show notes so everybody can uh, reference that as well. But what stood out to me was not the single speed. It, it was, you know, mostly being a parent. Uh, I'm 42 years old. I have two daughters. You have a few kids and we're a similar age. And I find that well, number one, there's a lot of challenges that that are in place uh, at this stage in your life that other people may not be experiencing. And so the, the other aspect of that is I think that there are probably a large demographic of people who are, you know, parents and have challenges and are asking them themselves a question or maybe they're like, I want to go do something big, but how do I do it? And so I think having those examples as the most relatable, um, those are like the most relatable stories, you know, because most of us aren't sponsored athletes and have all the free time in the world. Uh, and and I, I think that stories like yours probably speak to um, a very large contingent of the population. So I, I would echo what you're saying. I think it stood out to me as well. And I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate you coming on to chat about it. So look, I don't, obviously I, I don't know you and, and there's, you have zero social media presence that I can tell and not a lot to go on. So you'll have to fill me in. You said that, you know, a year or two ago, you couldn't imagine tackling the Highland Trail 550, but catch us up to speed. I mean, give me your introduction into cycling and, and bikepacking, if you will. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, didn't really I mean I'd ridden bikes to get places like as a kid and a teenager but I never really started mountain biking until I was um maybe later on in university a few of us used to go and like hire or borrow bikes and try out this like place called Glentress um so I got into it then and then I moved to Bristol and there was a big scene of mountain biking and um, that was where I took my first job and so 
it was just like a perfect way to meet people and uh, yeah just did sort of rode to work every day and then put my commuter bike away got on my mountain bike and and rode after work so I did a lot probably a lot of my hours of mountain biking in the sort of seven or eight years I lived in Bristol um and then yeah did a few races I suppose just more for fun than anything really serious like did some 12 and 24 hour things and yeah I suppose all, maybe even then starting to enjoy the longer distance things rather than the uh, fast cross country and um, that's where I first started riding single speed actually um my husband was riding single speed and uh, there just seemed to be no other girls doing it and I kind of wondered why but <laughs> um back then everyone was 26ers and was on like a a two to one ratio the 32 16 that was what you had to ride according to the like I don't know like unofficial <laughs> rule book so, so I just like went and put on an 18 or 19 tooth cog and sort of managed to get up the hills um sometimes get up them easier than the, the guys did because they had too hard a gear uh, and realized that actually single speeding was accessible just if you had like the right gear for your sort of abilities um uh, yeah so did a lot of riding there and then we moved to Stockholm in Sweden for a few years um and kind of learned to ride on rocky coastline um like quite big rocks when I first went there I thought how do people ride over this and kind of just followed and copied and worked it out um so yeah again that was all mostly pre-children so I had quite a lot of time to just go out and enjoy it um and put quite a lot of hours in again nothing serious I don't think when I was out there did any kind of racing or anything um in terms of the bike packing yeah my husband and I before we were married we did a few big trips like um did one in California one in China and another one in Patagonia big like took three weeks or four weeks off work and went and kind of um just traveled and like you know <laughs> when I look at it now it was like really short days on the bike we thought we were doing big stuff <laughs> like I suppose we didn't set off so like we'd have a nice breakfast set off at nine half nine in the morning and maybe be done by like six-ish half have you know sociable evening so not really like the highland trail at all but um yeah sounds more like uh touring maybe yeah proper touring yeah yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, which is great yeah i loved it and that's probably like my happiest place is doing that kind of thing and but yeah when, when you got kids and stuff you can't just well you can't really just take off and spend like three or four weeks touring on your own so we do we do the trips with the kids now um like more one night or two nights in the mountains and things and we did a we did one in the summer there um so we are still touring but like nothing like what we did before we had children um and yeah I guess kind of separate to that we've both got our own uh sort of adventures and goals that we work on you know when we've got our free time and our time away from the children um so yeah and so do y'all just take turns kind of you know who gets to do the next big adventure your own personal goals you just yeah. kind of support each other and swap off or how does that yeah. work yeah I think it helps um that we both are quite similarly minded he, he's gone into running more these days he was like the one that was you know uh, definitely the biker when we were, got together but um he, yeah he's, he's doing a lot of hill running and uh uh oh, we need to get him back. 
<laughs> we need yeah. to give him back to the bikepacking side. He's yeah, he's going too far like, off course. <laughs> he, he he's fourteen two years, and he's like he's got his eyes on the Highland Trail. He's been he's been sucked in. I think. Yeah. Does he want to be your record? Is it competitive <laughs> like know. that, or is it is it uh, just all in good fun? Oh, he'll probably beat my record by quite a bit, but um, yeah, I, I think he's just like he likes. He, we went to the start and the finish line this year, even though I had COVID. Um, like a really good friend was doing it, so we went to see her off and things, and he just like liked the vibe of the event and kind of. Um, yeah, so I missed a bit. I'm trying to think in my sort of. I wanted to, uh, while you're thinking, maybe we can touch on your your bike packing or bike touring with your kids. That's something I'm really interested in, and I w- I'm actually planning. We we were planning a uh, kid packing jamboree, which is essentially just like it was going to be an educational. Um, you know, an, an education, like how do you take your kids bike packing and then also do it with like support vehicles and all this stuff. And we had to postpone it till next year. Um, but I can tell you from just talking to people about that, that, that there is a lot of interest in how do you take your kids bike packing. And so you said yours are nine, seven and a four going on 24, uh, but logistically, how do you get all three of them on bikes? Yeah, um, try and not go too far. Um, the ones we've done, we kind of have this like formula of going into the mountains up a track which follows a glen. So, like, so you've got run, you've got like a, you're following a river or a stream like all the way. So we often don't. We've got an idea of where we might camp that night, but if we had to cut it short we could camp anywhere and basically it means we don't need to carry a lot of water so um that makes a big difference to like we take a trailer um we always take a double trailer because we've got a double trailer from when the boys were younger but that's now turned into more of a like tent trailer um so it's got like yeah tent, all the bulky stuff like tents and sleeping bags and stuff because I, well, I don't know about anyone else but we haven't like splashed out on really expensive sleeping bags for the kids they're really bulky and they take up quite a bit of space um yeah and so so the four-year-old she's now she's riding a bit more but um she often takes a seat in the trailer we sort of managed to find a space for her between everything and and hook bike on the back um and then oh, the boy wow. the boys ride so yeah it's just about like having plenty of time stopping loads like some if it's nice weather we'll go for a swim and sometimes we'd ride for 15 minutes and stop for a swim and a picnic and then other days like you know the they're the kid the boys are up for it and they, they get a bit further but um yeah we don't tend to go too far and try and keep it fun um that's amazing though. So your four-year-old is legitimately uh, pedaling her own bike on a portion of it. And whenever she gets too tired, you just throw her bike in uh, yeah. and throw her in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. And the boys, like when they were younger, it was, it was the same for them, but now they don't get the choice. <laughs> they love to get in the trailer sometimes, but they don't get that choice. Um, yeah. So and sometimes it's like you're riding along next to the boys and you put a hand on their back and help them up a hill or something. It's not... Um, do you take you know, any of those like toeies, the toe straps or anything like that with yeah. you? To... Interestingly, for the first time I used one of them at the weekend, but we have avoided it. I've just, 
kind of rather than getting the kids used to being pulled, I thought we'll just her strategy is more just not to go as far and kids they'll always want to get pulled <laughs> they'll always just like choose that option um yeah so we've kind of been a bit mean and not not offered that but yeah the other at the weekend there just because the boys are quite a bit older than um than the four-year-old so um that age gap is quite awkward uh to go all going on a ride together I was taking them just my own with um my one with the three of them and so I, I took a like I did I just tied two inner tubes together and pulled her along and yeah it worked really well I was really surprised at how well she was able to ride up rough uh, rough steep tracks like on the end of the um inner tubes yeah there there's absolutely nothing easy about taking kids camping or bike packing especially bike packing because like camping you kind of just all walk together um, it seems a lot easier in my experience, but whenever you add the bikes in there and now if someone can't ride, you have to carry their bike too. It's a whole, whole other element. W- what is y'all's, uh, motivation to put yourself, uh, through that? <laughs> yeah. It's more that it's a lot like, we know that afterwards we'll have had really good experience. It's a lot of work to get the car packed up and think about the food strategy and, get everyone motivated like, actually that was one of my um sort of like like I had my psychology sorted for the Highland Trail because we'd just come off the back of a family bike trip for three days and um I just spent put so much you know, taking so much energy to negotiate with the kids like like all day you're you're like negotiating like whether it's with sweets or what we're going to do next um or we're going to get to that beach like you put it's not it's not the physical effort it's the like the mental effort of staying on top of keeping them motivated and I thought oh the Highland Trail is going to be so simple because I've just got to I've just got to get myself there's going to be nobody like whinging or needing any you know encouragement and it's just going to be quiet and yeah so I was like kind of my psychology for the the Highland Trail was um was, was sorted after that <laughs> oh yeah I can yeah, definitely envision that when you've not got to get get kids moving on a bike you got three different energy levels you got different snack breaks you got pee breaks i mean everything yeah. you can imagine is just it's a not never-ending mommy yeah. daddy type situation yeah yeah it's, yeah and we've got we've got a dog as well which comes on as well. <laughs> just like, yeah they might be toileting you have to deal with and oh yeah well, you Bad should be commended. I, it's it's really hard. I know I I benefited from a family that you know grew up taking me into the outdoors, and I think it's paid dividends. And um, but I also know as a parent how challenging it is. But I'm also like I'm curious if this resonates with you. But I'm I'm putting in. I'm, I'm making deposits to a future bank right now. Like I'm hoping that in the future when they're older, they, they're going to want to go. They'll be excited to go and, and we can go and, you know, do some more epic stuff. But it's a it's it's a long, long, gradual process to get to that end goal for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I always worry. Oh, I hope we've not put them off. Like whenever you think you'll maybe push it a bit far that day and things, that's a concern I have. But um I think yeah I think we're both quite as a like as a couple we're both quite aware of not not pushing them too hard and keeping the plan sensible and flexible as well um yeah 
yeah, the good thing about going up the Glen is that it is a gradual climb on the first day, but the second day it's like generally rolling down a hill. So once you've kind of got them to camp, then you're 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 cool, you're done. Like it's sort of the hard work, and they love they love just like flying down the next day when they're a bit tired because they've not slept very well. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you remind them, you're like, see, look how much fun you're having. Isn't yeah, this fun? Yeah, yeah that's, how, that's how the weekend ends, I suppose, flying down a hill and having, yeah, having a breakfast in the tent and everything. And they, they love all that. Um, yeah, it's just the pedaling. But yeah, it's not until older in life, I feel like, where you understand that, you know, though those hard efforts make experiences more meaningful. You know, you can't appreciate how those two coincide, but when you get older, you really, at least I do, value, you know, a place and experience a lot more whenever it was a little bit more challenging to get to. Yeah, definitely. So ultimately, are your kids like, are they like asking you to go bikepacking? Are they, if you say to your kids, hey, we're going bikepacking this weekend, do they all get excited or do they kind of like moan and groan? (laughs) And they always get excited about camping. Um, I don't. I don't. We're not talking about camping with the bikes, and maybe don't use the term bike packing. But um, yeah, they're normally quite up for anything camping related, uh, even if it involves cycling a bike. They, they sort of forget about the fact that there's there's going to be some hills involved <laughs> until we get there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they they love they love camping and taking the sleeping bikes, like whether it's in the garden or whether it's in the mountains. Man, that's its own endurance sport right there. If you can, if you can take three kids and a dog bikepacking, I think you can do the Highland Trail 550. I was gonna ask my next question, and I'll go ahead and ask it. But you know, the the Highland Trail 550, it's a big challenge. Uh, it's a difficult route. Bikepacking.com has it rated a nine out of ten on the difficulty scale. Um, and I was gonna ask you. So previous to the Highland Trail 550, what was the event or experience that gave you the most uh, or prepared you the most for the Highland Trail 550? And I think the answer is taking kids bikepacking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess when I didn't, like, when I sent my, um, like, CV to Alan Goldsmith to get my place, I actually probably should have mentioned that. <laughs> I should have <laughs> listed all the family bikepacking trips, but... Um, yeah, I did one like um, the Cairngorm Loop last September. I, I decided to do the Highland Trail last summer, and then I kind of realised that I needed to have some like sort of evidence of that type of thing, and and they recommended the Cairngorm Loop, which is a um, it's just a like another like one to two day. Um, I actually can't remember the exact stats of it, but um. I think the, the record, the male record is like 18 hours. The female record was like 26 something. And um, so, yeah, I set out to do that last September. So that was kind of the only uh, thing, anything similar. And I just rode through the night on that. I didn't sleep. I took sleeping stuff. I, I, that's the first time I've ever done a whole all-nighter. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and I came in in a really good time, like much, I, I had no idea how long it was going to take. So I had so much food on the bike. I like, thought it might take 35 hours or something, but it was, yeah, 25 something. Um, so, yeah, I was really, uh, gave me a lot of confidence that I can do these 
type of things I can manage myself I can navigate I can um keep on top of like yeah my my energy levels and hunger and things um but other than that then I just did a few like uh two to three day um routes some of them actually wrecking parts of the Highland Trail between uh like January and, and uh, April um so so yeah, prior okay. prior to when you said in your mind or you know to your spouse hey I'm gonna go do Highland Trail 550 prior to that had you done any other bikepacking events or or just gone on any other other than like your touring experiences had you done anything else that would kind of be like similar uh, no I hadn't no um I think I mentioned in the bikepacking article like a friend called uh, Christine and she she'd done a couple of um things like that and I remember kind of thinking oh that looks quite cool and then I sort of we met up and did some long rides you know that way we're why don't we meet up for a ride one day and then it turned into sort of across Scotland and back like um two day riding from like early in the morning until sundown and that's kind of the first time I'd I'd ridden that kind of rhythm and like yeah and I definitely like um learned a lot from riding with Christine who'd done a few things like that and I realized how much pathing I did when I was on the bike um and yeah and how much I liked my stops and stuff but then I sort of realized oh you maybe don't need to stop quite as much and actually you can eat on the go and you can um yeah just I learned quite a bit about how to be more efficient um and I quite enjoyed it I quite enjoyed just like yeah it was just amazing how far we went and in, in a day you know from sunrise to sunset um and I suppose she had said she definitely wanted to do the Highland Trail in her lifetime at some point and I was like oh that'll be amazing but I'll never find the time for that I'll, like not with kids and I'll, I'll just never be able to train for it um but yeah we did a few more rides and I don't know, like I said in the article like last summer, I just kind of came out of nowhere. I said, I think I want to do, I want to work towards that. I've got nine months or so and um, I wanted to, uh, yeah, have a big challenge. Um, so you, you, yeah. I mean, we, we've touched on it a little bit or, or you did and also in the article, but, um, you know, you had, you had finished uh, treatment for breast cancer and then after that, you went straight into homeschooling your kids, you know, and, and you isolated homeschooling is what you said. And then and I'm getting and then you're also turning 40. And so it, it seems like this was a very personal challenge that you made for yourself. And I'm wondering if you can speak to maybe where you were at in your life and, yeah. and why setting a big goal like this was important. Yeah, Um yeah, I guess the like after the like the cancer journey and everything, and um, getting me stuck at home with the kids and trying to homeschool them, which was really tricky because like one of them in particular was not not enjoying that. Um, I yeah, my husband he was working from home, so I was able to at some point in the day say like I'm going to head out my bike for a couple of hours and. Um, I just knew I needed that space. I was like definitely struggling, like you know that kind of 
your glass is full and <laughs> doesn't take much to tip over. I definitely felt like that for quite a quite a long time and I really needed the bike to just process everything that had happened. Um yeah, basically I had I went through all all the appointments I'd had with my treatment and everything, like came back to me on the bike and I had to rerun everything before it was kind of behind me. Um and I, I seemed to only be able to do that when I was away from home and on just pedaling and um yeah. Yeah, sometimes the- I feel like life is I've said this before, like whack-a-mole, like things are just coming up fast and you're just reacting yeah. to it but never really processing it. So at yeah. some point you, you took the opportunity to it sounds like process everything that had happened. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then just whenever it was possible, like lockdown wise to get away for a weekend, I also really benefited from from that and, and well, instead of going to like a spa or something, I chose to go and ride my bike for 16 hours and sleep in the tent and then do the same again the next day. And that, that seemed to be what I wanted to do. Um, I guess I was enjoying feeling healthy again and um, maybe took it a bit far, but like that, I, I don't think so, but maybe some people think so. Um, no, not, a, not the people listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's true. Uh, yeah, so... I yeah just um and it just like only two years ago I'd not I'd never slept out on my own that was a big step I remember um like being a bit nervous about it and I I bivvied up I I think I cycled or maybe I walked I did cycle from home just up a hill you can actually see from the house and that seemed to be a bit like easier but um you know it felt easier to to see home (laughs) from where I was where I was gonna vivi but um and I took the dog with me the first time actually <laughs> but yeah just like when I look back I'm like oh yeah I've come quite far and even just a couple of years I had all that bike packing experience from uh, like pre-kids but I was always with a friend or with my husband or or boyfriend at the time but um yeah the, the, I guess the doing such a long distance on my own it just crept up on me um and I think possibly crept was. up on you in in like the idea, like your ability to do it crept up on you, or yeah, your desire, yeah. or or what? Yeah, I guess I always, I've always enjoyed pushing myself, um, and I've got a, I don't know, a wee bit of an inner competitiveness, but more with myself, like challenging myself to do things, um, and yeah, I've always enjoyed the long distance and the endurance and the journey um just going to new places like I don't like going back to the same place or or like watching the same movie and I like to like do the next thing um yeah so you already got that shirt from all those other things you might as well go get some new shirts yeah yeah uh so yeah just um kind of happened <laughs> I don't know if that answers the question but I was I, I was thinking about it like, yeah it's like it's it's not it's not been building up over years and years probably just in the last couple of years um and I guess watching other people and, and taking a bit of inspiration from other women and especially women I suppose yeah um who are doing things like big things um yeah where were you at so um where were you at whenever you got diagnosed with cancer um obviously at that point I think you had already had 
children? Were you doing a lot of writing in your life at that time? And and did that kind of put a halt to it or or did kids kind of <laughs> already take care of that for you? <laughs> yeah, I guess I was in that phase. Like my daughter was one and a half. So I was like just coming back to get strength again, you know, like just getting back into feeling strong again and doing longer rides and, and getting back into running, which was always a struggle for me after having kids. My body didn't seem to want to run again. Um, but yeah, um, I can't even remember if I'd like entered a race or anything like that. I don't think so. I'd done over the few years previous to it, I had done a few like hill running events, just moving when we moved to the Highlands of Scotland, I quite enjoyed having the, the heathery hills to get out and running again which we didn't really have in Stockholm or Bristol um, so I'd done a few like mountain marathons and things like that which I trained for um, not so much the bike races I think I did a did a 24 hour bike race with some friends maybe that was the January before um, that's a lapse thing in the middle of <laughs> in the middle of winter in Scotland it's called the Strathpuffer and uh, yeah that was maybe the only race I'd done recently um, so yeah nothing like on the scale oh I didn't have anything in my sights like what like the Highland Trail or anything like that um that's a that's amazing uh it sounds like I mean so I guess I'll just ask you I mean when you made the decision to do the Highland Trail you know from your perspective at where you were at in your life at that time how big of a goal was that you know I mean how daunting was the idea of actually doing it yeah, it's quite big. Um, I, I, but that's what I wanted. I wanted. I didn't want just a small incremental challenge. I wanted something big. I guess I felt like I'd done a lot of things, which maybe in hindsight, like I knew I could do, and it wasn't such a challenge. But I really wanted something that was going to put me out of my comfort zone, and like I suppose, um, like. The training I just wanted to have something to work towards um and also the age of my kids like my four four-year-old she'll go to school next year and then my free time might change I'll you know possibly be like working during the day I'm I'm not quite sure how it'll work out but I've kind of got this unique like little patch in life where um I drop the kid I drop my four-year-old off at nine o'clock and I've got till three o'clock and I've got this I had the time I thought without impacting the family too much um to to put in the training and yeah yeah I guess I don't know I just uh, just fancied a big challenge yeah no I like it uh what are what are some challenges you think that or maybe you don't think which what are some challenges that you face as a parent that maybe other people don't don't face i know that you mentioned having the time to do something like this is that the is that the biggest challenge is just the time yeah yeah there's kind of guilt aspect as well some of the times of those weekends actually i don't go away i don't leave the family that many weekends in the year it's in the lead up to the highland trail i did have a few penciled in there were much more frequent than we'd normally be. Um, I guess, yeah, it's, it's just guilt, isn't it? Like, because I, if I have done, a, if I had done a big day on the bike or if I had done like a lot of training, maybe I'd be a bit tired and grumpy. And then 
like maybe not handling situations as well as I could be but you can get tired and grumpy from anything so it's yeah it's just about perspective and trying not to I I guess I I just feel like I I need or I it's what makes me tick um and yeah if I go if I go without my sort of like adventures or or exercise for too long I, I get even grumpier so it's uh, yeah trying to kind of balance it and also I want the kids to see me or to see us like have an active life and not just be like serving them all the time um and and do have our thing I mean yeah whatever that is but uh have a passion I think that's healthy for them to see as well and it, it it can't be understated how um, important it is for you, for us as parents to continue to, you know, serve ourselves and feed ourselves. We, I think, yeah. you know, it can be, yeah. it can be tempting. It can be very easy to give everything to your children. And, yeah, you know, there definitely has to be a balance there, I feel like. And maybe finding that balance is challenging, but it's important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I do feel that maybe I like it tipped the balance a little bit at times, in, like in the lead up to the event last year. But I kind of justified it as this isn't forever. I'm not going to be training for the Highland Trail forever. This is, you know, like you might have a project at work which takes over a bit, and you work late nights and things like this. It was just something that was for me needing done, and um, yeah, it. But yeah, I I will do. I'm sure I will do more long distance and then endurance things. But um, like not like it's not going to be a back to back kind of um yeah thing with them. So yeah, having done the Highland Trail, like I can imagine doing something else of a similar magnitude, not necessarily bigger without so much of the stress and and maybe even like smarter training. Um. So it wouldn't be quite as all-consuming to do that kind of thing again. Obviously, if I went wanted to do something that was twice as long or in like hotter climate or something, it might be a different story. But um, yeah, yeah, that's that's that is uh, that's one thing I was thinking about the Highland Trail. I'm curious how much time you allotted to do it. But one nice thing about it, I mean, you finished in what five? Yeah, five days, nine hours. We'll throw in another day of recovery. So you had six days uh, committed yeah. to to doing the Highland Trail, which is it's it's a big ask as a parent, but it's not as big of an ask as like going to do the Tour Divide that's going to take two or three weeks or something like that, which yeah. is just unfathomable. Yeah. But but this is this is doable. It seems like you know. Yeah, yeah. It was like that. Yeah, it was a it was a fairly big ask. Like. Cause it's like, well, I wanted to do it in, in term time because I knew that it'd be a little bit easier in Colin um, managing the kids. Like, so he would be able to work a bit when they were at school and things. Um, whereas if it was in the summer holidays, well, I didn't really want to use summer holidays for, or, or like annual, Colin's annual leave for the event. So, um, yeah, but it worked out okay. <laughs> and it's like, six days I think that was a bit long I needed to be back for the weekend because um we were organizing a running race <laughs> so I needed to at least be looking after the kids while Colin was doing the, like organizing um 
He's had a strong coffee that day, but <laughs> <laughs> so you you're you and your husband were organizing a race, a running race that you had to be back for? Well, yeah, ideally. Other I mean, there's probably a couple of people that could have stood in and helped out. But um yeah, he was yeah, he was a main organizer for a it's just a local run up our wind farm tracks. Um and it's it's raising money for the uh, local athletics group so it's an annual event but I hadn't run for a few years because of COVID so um yeah did you participate in that or just help run it <laughs> no not that well I did actually I did the one mile kids race with Frida there you go <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah the, all three kids actually did the what the it was like just an out and back and then back into the the village hall for tea and cake so so how much time did you have from the time you started till when that running race was uh, to take place? Yeah, I suppose that was exactly um, exactly one week. So I started at eight o'clock on Saturday morning and the running race was the following Saturday. So, um, yeah, <laughs> so that was one of the reasons because the weather was terrible for my start. Um, like the rain when we were driving over on the Friday night through the through Glencoe was just unbelievable <laughs> like never seen it like that and the rivers were really really like full and it's like white water um and yeah it rained overnight and it was still like that in the morning so yeah it wasn't an ideal start and probably I can't actually think about it too much because it's a bit dramatic but um I wonder if I maybe shouldn't have it wouldn't it wasn't the most sensible thing actually to start on that Saturday morning um, and even if I just waited six hours, the, the forecast was better, and probably the, the rivers would have been um, a lot, a lot friendlier. So, so was yeah. it was it also cold, or was it just lots of rain and potential like uh, dangerous river crossings? I wasn't. I didn't. If it was cold, I wasn't able to think about that. It was just um, really fast, deep water, um, and uh, yeah, like it's kind of. It's like well beyond mid five, I would say, and, and like very very fast. Um, and I had to kind of shuffle across, like on it. Like yeah, I was kind of, uh, like like in a goalkeeper's position <laughs> with my bike on my head, sort of squatting to try and be stable, and then shuffled across the the river. I quickly learned, you know, the technique <laughs> of like only moving a tiny bit at a time, and definitely not like overlapping your legs because I would have definitely got uh, washed away I think but um, yeah so the, it's not an ideal start but so I was aware of like needing to be back home <laughs> I didn't I didn't really want to have to finish it and get on a train like the next hour um, yeah what's your what's your comfort level with fording rivers in that manner I mean that's a pretty precarious and dangerous situation to be in yeah I yeah that wasn't comfortable um and I'd never crossed a river like that before uh I've done river crossings and they've always been kind of people have talked about oh you know such and such will be filled today it'll be tough and then I've got all worried about it and it's generally been quite fine um you know need it maybe a little bit fast but nothing too bad but yeah this was the worst I've ever crossed um wow yeah when okay so you're at your first river crossing 
how how concerned were you going into it? Because like the thing with the river crossing is you can kind of tell how fast it's running, but you might not know how deep it is. So you might not you might have like got halfway and then realized like, oh shit, I'm yeah, you know, yeah. I'm in a little bit deeper than I intended to be. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, you couldn't see the bottom, um, so you couldn't be sure. Um, I don't know. I just was like, just talk to myself, and I was like, you just got to be brave. You just got to go for it. You got to, you got to like be strong. Remember, I, I mean, I didn't do a lot. I did a bit of weights training in the winter, and I was like, just you know, channel all that, like, yeah, channel all that training and and strength, and and yeah. Um, like I say, I look, I look back and I think it was maybe a bit stupid, but. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you live to tell the story, so we'll just call it brave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, your goal uh, was to be at the group start uh, for the Highland Trail 550, which was held in May of this year. Um, what happened there? Uh, yeah, it was all going well. I'd kind of done all my training so the, the event was meant to be the end of May um I can't even remember that maybe the 28th of May I think it was meant to be and yeah it was like I think 11 or 12 days before the start and I um yeah I wasn't feeling very good at all I was teaching coaching the kids at the school biking and um I'd done a COVID test and I'd come back negative and then just the next day I still wasn't feeling good. anyway it was a positive COVID test and um yeah, for the first couple of days, I was I was gutted, and I, th- but I thought maybe I'll be one of the lucky ones that just gets it really mild. And then I was absolutely floored with it. I was really quite, um, yeah, just like in bed for a week. And I kind of, I think by the weekend before, I accepted that I wasn't going to be at the Highland Trail. Um, yeah, and it, I don't think I've been quite so gutted about anything. I just felt I poured so much into the the training in the winter and. I was aware of all the sacrifices the family had made and like, yeah, just, yeah, I was absolutely gutted. And I, I didn't feel at that point I could just do it next year. I didn't feel like, oh, you know, you'll just need to, you know, come to the start line next year, do a bit of training in the winter. I just felt like, like what you know, what if I get ill <laughs> next year? And then, yeah, I just, um, for me, I don't know what, for me, I had I had to get around the course this year. Um, and well, I you put quite, in a lot of work. I mean, yeah, yeah, I did, I did. I put in a lot of miles on the bike and a lot of like sort of strength training in between. I was quite motivated with that, and um, yeah, I just couldn't couldn't believe. Like, I just I thought I'd done everything right and couldn't. Uh, took yeah. me a little while to accept the situation. Yeah, my next question was going to be how demoralizing was that, but I think you answer. I mean, it's just absolute gutting. Yeah. I'm curious, though. Like, um, so I mean, you got COVID 11 days prior, and it was a pretty rough, uh, really pretty rough go at it. it. Is just like your your physical fatigue what kept you from actually like signing up, and or you already signed up, but from lining up at the start line is just fatigue or. Or was it race rules that you couldn't have COVID within 14 days, or or what was the factor there? Yeah, I guess um, I had contemplated, or maybe maybe if I'm feeling okay, I could just just start and see how it go, or maybe I could just go and do a slow attempt, like go and do it in 10 or 12 days or something, rather than the like six-ish days I was 
sort of hoping to get under. Um, uh, yeah, I, I thought about that, but I, I was worried about long COVID, which, um, yeah, I wasn't really willing to, as much as I really, really wanted to do the race, I wasn't really willing to take on the risk of um, like a long-term uh like fatigue with it I, I thought I just I just need to yeah actually some friends sent me some like data on it and how long you know how your sort of return to exercise after COVID and it should really be very very gentle like like basically walking pace for a couple of weeks and stuff I was like oh well okay yeah like it would be pretty stupid I just I kind of realized it would be yeah you silly. eventually had to have a uh a coming to Jesus moment or whatever, and just kind of sit yourself down and be like, no matter how hard I've worked, no matter how unfair this is, whatever, it's just, it's not the right time to do it. I'm curious about this article. Um, I've, I'm certainly like heard of long COVID and, and prolonged periods of fatigue and, and stuff. Uh, did that article say like, if you exercise too aggressively, too quickly after COVID that it'll have, or maybe like increase your chances of long-term side effects or? Yeah, I think it was saying that. I could, I could look it up and send you, I'm sure I've got a copy, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was saying, um, yeah, you're like the recovery, the recovery needs to be gentle and otherwise there could be longer, longer yeah. term effects. Only, uh, yeah, I mean, let's not, I told you there'd be no trick questions, so we won't pretend to be medical professionals. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. <laughs> but, but anecdotally, I know I've had friends who I've had COVID, uh, you know, and um, it, it it's a slower process for most people. Once you recover, it could be a month later and you're still feeling a little weak, which is, which is your body, I think, telling you that you need to slow down. So you probably probably made the right call. So at what point did you decide I'm going to do an ITT? Uh, the week before the start. <laughs> <laughs> so once you decided you weren't going to make the start, you were like, I'm doing an ITT. Yeah, well, I wasn't really thinking of it as much as like, I need to get time on the Highland Trail website. It was more... Uh, I need to get around that route. I just need to to go and do, I don't know, just follow that GPX and get myself around that route as soon as I'm healthy. Um, I'd just been so kind of focused on it for so long. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't consider myself very stubborn most of the time, but I was definitely feeling a bit like I just need, I need to do this, um, even though it's maybe not, sensible and it's not going to be a huge amount of fun on my own I did try actually because there was a number of women who pulled out in the last like week or two um it was a shame actually because the start list suddenly dropped the female in numbers um and some of it was from COVID and maybe like three or four of us and then I think there was another couple which had to pull out for other reasons um so I actually asked Alan I said oh look I'm planning to to go around at the end of August um, and I just wondered if any of the other girls who had missed out fancied that as well or were kind of similarly gutted and therefore motivated <laughs> to do a similar thing um, yeah I didn't hear much back a couple of people replied uh, 
yeah, one of the one of the girls was pregnant, so she wasn't coming. And then uh, <laughs> that would be a good podcast, though. I'd like to interview her if she did. <laughs> <laughs> so the other one showed a bit of interest. One other showed a bit of interest, but um, never, never in the end. I think she did other challenges instead. So uh, yeah, then. Oh, so I thought I was actually, I thought it would be fun to do it with other people, but I also thought it would make me do it because <laughs> I was worried, like, there's no start line date now. It's just me and I've just, you know, it's just the pressure I'm putting on myself. But I thought if there's, a, you know, it's just like going for a run in the dark in the rain or something. If you're meeting somebody, then you go. But if you're, you know, if uh, if you're not, then you'll easily kind of just decide to do something else. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, nobody else was up for it. So it's just me. <laughs> um, and I thought this date of the 20th of August, kind of based on the kids going back to school, um, and, uh, a couple other things. <laughs> there was a, a friend's 40th birthday, Kaylee, <laughs> I had to make, and, um, yeah, so th- th- that was the week that was going to work. Yeah, that was my next question, actually, because, I mean, it was from May until, yeah, the end of August when you actually wound up going back to do it. So I was curious, like, what were the factors that that played into that decision making? And and ultimately, did that did that time, uh, did it turn out to be beneficial? Did you get more training in or did it help you or, or was it kind of a drag? Yeah, I was reflecting on that a bit. I think um, overall... It was, well, it allowed me time to recover from COVID. It did take me, I would say, five to six weeks to actually feel like my lungs were strong and healthy again. Um, so, yeah, so, so what that took me maybe into the end of middle of July, end of July. So then I had only a month, um, really, to try and kind of go out for some, like, I wanted to get some long rides in just as much for my psychology as anything, just um, sort of prove to myself I could uh, still do the longer days. But it was really challenging because it was the school holidays. Um, so I, I don't know about you, but I find it really hard to train in the holidays. I just like there's no structure to anything. And um, it's actually a lot easier in the winter in term time um, to kind of have that structure to your training so in some ways I wasn't as trained for the end of August um I definitely didn't have as much like altitude in my legs and from the um yeah I've been doing quite a lot of like hilly rides in like April early May um so I got a few I got a couple of long rides in and I was confident you know I had the endurance I could I could go all day um and look after myself and I had the setup fine uh yeah so the only thing that was good I think actually is I, I was able to realize that my shoe choice was not the right one so <laughs> I managed to I decided I've been swithering between flats and clipping in and um it'd been stressing me out but I decided to go clipped in and bought these like new shoes for the Highland Trail about three weeks before and um, I tried them out I walked up hills in them and they were great and everything and then um, I was sure they were the right thing and then in August I went for a 
two and a half day rides, a bit wet, but not particularly. And I got trench foot in them. They just they just held the water and never dried out. Um, so I was like, right, no, I'm going back to my flats with my uh, like really well ventilated shoes, which I had been riding in before. So, and I'm so glad I did. I just like with all the walking on the route and like what would have been clipping in and out all the time. I was really glad that I had the flats and I had the shoes, which were a bit of like breathability. So that was the only thing I thought, actually, like that, that could have cost me the race having shoes that like didn't dry out. Um, it cost me there. Yeah. So what was your, what was the advantage of going clipless? Was it, I know that the Highland Trail is very rocky. It's usually rainy. So just being more connected to your bike. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't find that too big an issue. Like, like I say, I had been dabbling in flats for a while. I'm normally clipped in to the bike, but um, I'd done a few training rides and flats and a couple of times my foot would slip off, but it wasn't too bad. Um, and certainly I think the benefits were outweighing the disadvantages for me anyway. Um, yeah, the only thing is the flat pedals bash into your shins and your back to your ankles a bit more than the smaller pedals. So that was quite a lot quite a lot of it. <laughs> you got some scar tissue built up. Yeah, it's just yeah. good stories. So, uh, so did I guess I have two questions here. What was your goal going into your ITT, and did it change from May until August, or did you maintain the same goal? Uh, yeah, I guess I knew. Well. I'm pretty sure I could get under six days, just sort of benchmarking on other riders who'd done it and like how well I went in the Cairngorm loop the summer before. Um, I was, although I was, I was on gears for that, but um, yeah, I, yeah, under six days. I guess with the single speed, I knew that, I think the previous record was over six and a half days. Um, so I guess I was, pretty confident that if nothing went too badly wrong I should be able to get under that record so that would be an accomplishment in itself but yeah I guess I, d I did want to feel like I would have been up there in the girls race um I kind of wanted yeah I would I would have been disappointed if my time was like too different to the sort of top three or four girls and who'd done the group start in me. Um, wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a really neat goal considering, you know, where you recovering from cancer and, uh, and I would assume from a physical standpoint, almost starting from ground zero and, and, you know, retraining your body and setting a big goal. You didn't just say, okay, well, I'm going to take on the Highland Trail 550. You gave yourself a, a pretty lofty goal to match that. That's just like one part of my brain. The other part of me was like, just thinking, I just, yeah, I just want to get round and I have no idea if I can push myself without other riders out there. So I did, I, I remember talking to people before I went and saying I wasn't really sure how I would react to being out there and, and how, if I would, um, if I would like just kind of just be getting round and want to go to pubs and restaurants and things and, and like, <laughs> get a bit of civilization and, and meet some people um or if I would get my sort of 
race race on and and uh, crack on. So I, I did a wee bit of both actually. Um, but yeah, I was by the last few days, I let myself push harder and harder. Um, and I don't think I pushed too hard in the first couple of days. I stuck with my strategy of just doing, seeing how I got on with four hours sleep because I'd never done back to back days with like such short sleeps. So I just didn't know how I would react to that. Um, yeah. So I guess reading that other people have done it, you think, well, surely I should be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that was my only confidence. But... Yeah, I feel like my perception, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like you're, I'm assuming your goal of six days, sub six days doesn't come from a massive ego, but rather comes from, it, it, in my mind, it probably speaks to how much training and preparation you did and how how comfortable or confident you felt going into it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd done quite a bit of training. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I just had a feeling, I suppose, based on other riders times and things where I should be able to sit if I was riding well, I didn't have any big issues. Um, and luckily I didn't have any, apart from the first day with the rivers and midges. Um, I didn't have any big, big issues. Wait, what are midges? What are midges? You don't know what midges are. Oh, they're like tiny little um, flies. Like little gnats, or yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm picturing, like little yeah. little flies or something. Out, they come out in the morning, in the evening. Like they can be out all day if it if it's like damp weather. Um, it can be around all day, but especially in the morning, in the evening, and it's just like clouds of them in the sky, and they just nibble at you, and they're really awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and it they're particularly bad in August, like May. You're kind of almost pre-midgy season, um. So not, I mean, you can get midges in May, but they're not. Don't tend to be as bad as like July, August, when it's a bit warmer and a bit wetter. Do they leave a bite like that itches you? Then yeah, you know, they leave like stuff. little red dots. You look like you've got the measles, like little red mottled dots. And if you're unlucky, they um, and you scratch them a lot, then they kind of swell up, and you get lots of like raised. <laughs> dots all over your skin we had to ride i had to ride with a with a midge net on quite a lot of the time um which is like yeah just i don't i guess like a mozzie net it's the same kind of thing so but i had to yeah i spent quite a lot of the highland trail with a midge net on my head so i'm kind of glad there wasn't photographers out there um, <laughs> it's funny whenever you said that i was thinking i was like oh i wonder if she has a picture of that but i guess <laughs> you um, don't because yeah. that would be that that's the real but that's real bike packing that's the stuff people need to hear about the midges because you know it's like yeah there's rain and rocks and rivers but freaking midges or over here like the mosquitoes get super bad where um it can just make you know any experience just miserable you know yeah 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 mozzies i don't know they're different i guess mozzie bites are worse i think but there's not as many of them normally in one like small area um so it's different <laughs> so uh let's talk about your bike um you went fully rigid single speed and i know i remember so liam glenn was on the podcast back on 75 whenever he got the single speed record and he almost took neil belchinko's overall record on a single speed just had a fantastic run um, but I remember researching for that episode 
and almost every bike that you see on the Highland Trail is a is a full suspension 29er. Is that your uh, understanding? Like most people are pre- taking a pretty, you know, uh, yeah. robust <laughs> bike. Yeah, and and anyone that doesn't is like turning a lot of heads. Yeah, there there was um there's kind of gravel bike with fatter tires on it this year, at least one, maybe a couple. Yeah, and a few hard tails, but you're right. Mostly, I think people are riding full suspension. Um, yeah, so it's it's worth noting for perspective, like, you know, fully rigid single speed always uh, has some respect, but I think on this route, it comes with a extra level of street cred, let's say. <laughs> so so what led, I mean, why, why pick single speed fully rigid? Like, when most people aren't, why did you make that decision? <laughs> um. Yeah, it wasn't really for the street cred or the respect. It was more for, I think, the biggest reason was it was a fear of um, gear failure. So I wanted, like like I was saying, I didn't think I would be able to do the event twice. Like, I felt like, um, you know, I couldn't justify all this training and time away from the family. So it was just like one chance I had to get around the Highland Trail. Um, And... I just wanted to minimise my chance of anything going badly wrong and having to pull out. Um, so, and I had a background of single speeding, so that was, yeah, it was a bit of a thought. Like, I was actually calling my husband. He was like, well, if I did it, I would do it single speed. Why don't we? And I was like, would you? <laughs> um, and then it kind of got me thinking and, I listened to Liam Glenn's podcast and I was aware that he'd gone really fast single speed. Well, I was like, well, it shouldn't, it obviously doesn't slow you down um, or it needn't slow you down if, if you're as fast as Liam Glenn. Um, but I, yeah, it's an extra challenge, but yeah, I, I like the simplicity. I don't, I don't like, uh, I don't like it when gears break and having to work out what's going wrong. And I mean, I've got a bit of practice at that, but, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's Liam Glenn was kind of the poster child on that route, right? For running single speed, fully rigid and and showcasing, yeah. you know, the lack of disparity between the potential times. Yeah. Uh, so that was really eye opening. Yeah. And it's, it's I guess it's, it's slightly lighter setup, although my surly frame I'm not convinced it's that light. <laughs> I've never actually compared it to like a carbon 29 or full sus or anything, but um, it's pretty sturdy. So yeah, the bike, yeah, it was lighter um, than it would have been with gears on uh, that, that frame. And yeah, fork, like when you're small, the kind of like where you can put back, you know, bike bags and things is quite challenging. Um, and like, stuff I'd tried before I ended up it was like PVC taping things onto my forks and like anything to get stuff on like to get my gear on the bike um and yeah I guess I you know with a rigid fork you've got mounting points that are a bit more secure I know you can get things for um suspension forks but I just thought it'd be a bit neater and a bit more um you know a bit like less likely to to fail um so yeah I ended up with my bottle on my fork and then I had a frame bag a triangular frame bag um which actually got custom made just to get it absolutely like perfect um using every little tiny bit of space 
Um, and uh, previously, actually, I don't know if I, anybody else has this problem, but I, when I had a suspension fork on last summer and I was bike packing, I always found that my bar bag hit the buzz the wheel. Um, whenever I'd go over rough stuff or on a drop or something, um, and then it wore a hole in the bag, which was quite annoying. Uh, yeah, so obviously with a rigid fork, you don't have that problem. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, my favourite bike's a little 26-inch rigid single speed, which I do short rides on. Um, so I'm pretty used to riding rigid single speed. It was just a different challenge to kind of go on a huge distance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking back on it, um, how do you feel about your decision to ride single speed rigid? Were you wishing you had suspension? Were you hoping for something else? Like, how did it actually perform for you? I mean, obviously, you you set a new record, but so <laughs> I was quite tempted to do it with a front fork. Um, I think, yeah, I I don't think like the twenty niners was good for me. Like, um, I think the wheel size does roll nicely over. Like, it just kind of eats up the terrain a bit better than smaller wheels. Um, it's not too draggy on the road sections. Um, so although it's not quite as fun, a small person on a 29er, it's not quite as nimble, but there's hardly any like single track that you want to be chucking the bike about on anyway. It's, um, there's a few, there's a few nice sections, but, uh, yeah, it's a lot about just going through like really amazing landscape and not so much about lots of amazing single track. Um, so would I change? Yeah. I, I think if I did do it again, I would probably look at getting um, a short travel front fork just to relieve um, some of the brutal <laughs> roughness. That yeah, it was the first. I think I said in the article, it was the first two days were just so much gravel track, and some of it really was pretty lumpy gravel track, like big, quite big stones. You know, um, not technical riding, but just like quite punishing on the body. Um, and I, I did. My, I had my tires quite hard because I was scared of punctures. Um, yeah, I think the bike might have ridden a bit better if I'd let a bit of air out, but uh, I didn't get any punctures. So. <laughs> <laughs> you just let your body take the take the yeah. abuse. I had Jones bars on, so that was quite comfortable. I got them in the winter time. I finding long rides. I used to get a sore back just from stretching out. Um, and I really like the Jones bars. I've got so many positions for my hands. Um, I can really like sit upright and just hold on to the end of them when the terrain's quite easy. And uh, yeah, they were good. So I think that comfortable setup helped for sure. Yeah. You're um, the bike picture uh, on bikepacking.com with your article is is so minimal. Like your setup is like you don't have a lot of stuff there it looks like is this is this your full kit what we're seeing here on bikepacking.com yeah um yeah you probably can't can't see i've got a water bottle on the right hand i see it on the right hand side yeah okay um oh is that the one where i'm in the picture or is it where there's no the one yeah the barrel the blue and white barrel yeah yeah uh yeah i what i mean i had a bum bag on like an evoke kind of quite big, okay. big 
um, hip or hip bag. I don't know what you call them. Like a yeah, hip pack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hip pack. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I had a tent like as well. So it wasn't the smallest sleeping setup. Um, yeah, I'd like it. I think I said North I was pretty pleased with what I took. There was only there was one thing I need to correct in that article was that I used everything I took. I didn't use all my tools and spares. Like <laughs> I was glad I had them, but I didn't use every bit, um, every like tire plug or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it was yeah I was pleased with the setup. I don't think I took too much extra, and even like I had a puffy jacket which I actually never had on. It was, um, and I had a merino top. A long sleeve merino top, which again I never had on. I never changed out my top layer just for six days. So just um, yeah. How how tall are you, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, five foot three and a half. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty tidy setup. You must have spent um to get down to that minimal. The setup only comes with experience. You know, people don't tackle a big route like this. You know, you pack your fears, right? And so to go that light um, and really dial down on the things you need, it, it only comes with experience. Some people might be interested in a, in a gear breakdown. I know I would be. Um, I've, uh, I've dated a few ladies that were in the five foot to five foot two range. And, you know, it's always the challenge of how do you get everything, everything you need um, on the bike? You know, it's one of the challenges for sure. I definitely like the like the bar bag for instance it's not the biggest I think it's, um the the brand that makes it it's not the biggest one that they do but I was quite determined to I think like if you've got a big bag you'll fill it <laughs> so and it was the same with the seat the seat pack bag I, I actually borrowed that one um the one I've got bigger um and again you can just put more in it so I thought I'd challenge myself it was it was about a few weeks before the event I challenged myself to to get all my setup with a small seat pack and somehow the tent actually goes in that little seat pack and I managed to put a roll mat on top um and I was kind of amazed but yeah again it was just like if I had my normal seat pack there would have been space at the top of the dry bag to put in an extra pair of socks or I don't know like maybe my puffy gilet as well as my puffy jacket or something like I might have been tempted to throw in another couple of things which were actually double just doubling up on what I already had so um yeah pretty pleased was there anything that you didn't bring that you wish that you had oh there was something oh a head torch <laughs> I forgot my head oh, torch oh <laughs> yeah that's so funny yeah. second guest in a row that forgot their headlamp yeah uh, Seth I on had- the last uh, podcast he forgot his for Silk Road so yeah I had a, I had a two bike light like I had a headlamp from a helmet and I had um a bar so it's like two exposure lights and then my phone of course you could use the um so that it's just really annoying at night time in the tent like I quite liked my little 20 25 minutes in the tent where I would have it all set up and I'd get in and I'd just have a little snack and just chill just before I went to sleep and um yeah I'll had to always have my phone like pointing into my eyes or I just wish I had a little head torch it would have been a lot easier there you go <laughs> and my, head torch. I didn't want to use my bike I used my bike lights to get the tent set up but again that was kind of worrying me because I had a dynamo hub um charging things and 
as the route got slower, I was struggling, started feeling like I was struggling to get everything, keep everything charged. And I had um I'd like two hours of darkness in the morning and the evening. So I needed I needed my lights. It's not like in the end of May where you don't really need your lights much at all. Um if you sleep when it's dark, you don't need them at all. <laughs> so yeah, so it was starting to worry me a bit and I felt so silly for not just having a little head torch that would have meant I could have saved my bike lights. Um, Interesting. So that that's the only thing. Yeah, that and I suppose my socks. So I ended up buying seal skin socks halfway through the, the event. What are those, like a waterproof sock? Yeah, yeah. I'd really started to struggle with um, like trench foot setting in. Um, just my... Like the, the ground was so wet, and when I was starting, um, when I was doing so much walking, like shoes just weren't drying out, and my socks were not drying out, and they were really smelling bad. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was getting sore feet just from from that trench foot sitting in. So I bought some sealskin socks in Liverpool and got rid of my um, festering <laughs> wool ones. Uh, but yeah, so I would I would take them again. At, for a route like the Highland Trail, um, just where you did a lot of walking through bogs and yeah. Now, uh, it, you mentioned um, you know doing an ITT when you're not in the the group, um, it's not on track leaders that kind of thing. How how easy it would be to kind of just you know maybe just tour it or maybe just give up. Uh, something like that. I'm wondering if there was a, a time on the route that you came close to pulling the plug. Did you ever just think, ah, no one's really watching. I could just <laughs> do whatever. Yeah. Um, I only felt like I might stop because I was getting forced. Once I started, once I started, um, I was fairly... Uh, Maybe on day one, actually, <laughs> like towards the end of day one, I re- I was quite far behind where I thought I was going to be, um, between the all the river crossings and then a uh, a bit of a poor preparedness thing for me with my Garmin GPX file which needed sorted out at a cafe. I just lost quite a lot of time on day one and then ended up having to go over this huge pass called the Coriaric Pass. It's like um seven hundred meter high. It's one of the highest points of the route. And it's really quite grim. You're following pylons um, up this zigzaggy, awful steep climb. Um, and then you've kind of got to descend a similar thing into the town Fort Augustus, um, which a lot of people get a dinner there. <laughs> and I kind of realised I was maybe not going to get dinner there. Um, I'd be too late. And I was still a bit hopeful. And then when I was descending, it got dark and it was misty and you just couldn't couldn't see I was tired and hungry and I took so long to descend that I missed any kind of hot food or anything in Fort Augustus um yeah I was struggling a bit on that day definitely but I don't know I did I gave myself a little treat of going into a pub and having a coca-cola and a bag of scampi fries and um yeah I suppose looking back on that if I was racing really hard that was like totally unnecessary but it kind of I don't know I felt I needed I needed just a little treat, a little something to lift me. Um, a little reward. I don't know. Yeah, I think yeah. Having missed out on the hot food thing, that was kind of my like 
um, like <laughs> consolation prize. So <laughs> did, did you come? Did you come close to actually throwing in the towel? Were you thinking about it, or or was it just a, that was like the most mentally tough day to just oh man, I'm not where I want to be. I wasn't. I wasn't close to giving up. Actually, I just fell a bit down. Um, I don't think I did. Yeah, it was too early to. It was too early to give up. Um, and yeah, the only other time was I'd done a lot of hike a bike in the middle. I don't know what day it would have been. Maybe day three, no day four, I think. Um, leaving Alapool, there was uh, three big climbs. And then um, most of them you had to push, well, you had to push up all of them, 400 meters each. And on the third one, my um, my back just sort of like gave up a bit and I was really tired. And then it, I didn't even, even like, you know, like just pushing through it, I didn't seem to be able to push the bike above my head, like which I needed to do to get it up these steep bits. I just felt like I almost couldn't do it. And I thought, oh no, this is it. Like I've damaged myself and I've overdone it. Um, so I was worried I was going to have to pull out just because, yeah, just over, just like a strained muscle or something. But um, yeah, I slept well that night and and I was fine the next day. So I think I was just really tired. Um, yeah, and my bum bag had too much stuff in it. I think I think I put too much food in it, and and I I suspect that wasn't helping. But I only right. realised that after the event. <laughs> yeah. kind of like, like a week later, I was like, I wonder. Wonder if I had too much weight in my bum bag. Yeah. So um, let's see here. Let's talk about. Uh, I thought this was fun. You said you developed uh, split personalities from sleep deprivation, and uh, my thought was is I could either see that being comforting or terrifying. Uh, <laughs> what was <laughs> what was your experience? Uh, it was just weird. It was just weird. It was just like I genuinely started having these thoughts of like I'd put my hand in my had a little pouch on the bar where I had lots of uh, snacks and I sort of put my hand to get something out and then I would sort of hesitate because the other person might need it <laughs> like the other rider like the one I was looking after um, and what, what if they got hungry and then yeah it was really weird and then I realized there isn't anybody else it's just me it's just it's just one of you and, and I'd have to sort of <laughs> I just, it was just strange and um yeah when I got up in the morning I kind of felt like I should be waking somebody else up and uh yeah it's just a bit odd I, I still don't know yeah maybe it's like you're used to always having kids you're used I mean there's just people always around so there's just yeah. always somebody else yeah either having the kids around or I'm always riding with someone else as well it's not that normal to just be me for especially for like a long trip like that um so yeah it's maybe just getting a bit delirious I don't, <laughs> I don't how know. long how long did that last was it just one evening and then you slept and it kind of went away or i was kind of coming on and off for the last few days i was saying and especially on the last day i was having loads of weird um because i hadn't slept the night before i finished well i'd slept for half an hour um but you know pretty much pushed through that Night, and that was when I had loads of weird stuff going on. <laughs> um, I'm sure there'll be people out there that do this kind of thing all the time, but it's my first experience of like proper sleep monsters. And yeah, um, was it was it scary? Was it what? Did, uh, what was that like? 
<laughs> no, yeah, not really. It was kind of funny, but funny, but also a bit like, oh, like, does this mean I need to lie down? Like, yeah, is this is this someone telling me that I need to like have a break? Um, and it only became a problem when the tracks got really straight and boring and flat. Um, otherwise, it was I could kind of, yeah. Otherwise, it didn't really happen so bad. But um, tw- yeah, twice I needed to take like five or six minute nap. I don't. I'm actually just guessing. It was five or six minutes. But um, yeah, I just had to sit down and shut my eyes and fall asleep um, and reset a bit. But yeah, that was all. I've read, I've read so many accounts of people doing stuff like this. I knew that that, that was quite normal, like to get really tired and, and be able to take little short naps to kind of reset you. Um, Do you, uh, did you find that like, okay, for my, I've never had the sleep monsters. I, it's kind of like one of those experiences I want to have because yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. Like, what was your, were you like, oh, okay, this is what it's like. This is kind of interesting. And you kind of get to like, because the other part, it's a puzzle, right? You're learning how your body reacts in those extreme situations. Um, yeah. Is that like, how did, how did it, how did you? Yeah, view it was all it? a big experiment. Um, like I knew that from the decision I made to push on through the night. Um, and went at the point I made the decision to push on, I had actually been feeling pretty good. And I don't think I would have done it if I'd had a bad day or if I was in a bad place. I, I was like, no, I'm feeling good. I've um, I'd had a good evening pushing the bike up Glen Affric, which sounds a bit strange, but I had actually enjoyed it and um, had a good feed and everything. So, yeah, and I'd read about other riders doing it on the last day. You can see why, because if you want to finish the following day well for me I knew that if if I if I had a long sleep I wouldn't have been finishing till quite late on the Thursday whereas if I if I could push on I'd be finishing at like tea time which was quite a nice thought (laughs) rather than arriving in at you know 11 or 12 o'clock so I was kind of motivated by just having a a sociable finish time um yeah which yeah and just seeing just seeing what I could do but yeah well, like it's the end of the race, so you you can kind of leave it all out there, so to speak, you know, because you said you had a little bit of a slow start, but as you get closer in, you're like, all right, well, let's get 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 the get it a little bit. Yeah, I, I was kind of up for that feeling of just, like you say, leaving it all out there and having no regrets or anything. So, um, yeah, that's yeah. freaking awesome. How uh, how aware were you of the previous single speed um fastest known time um both when you were you know going into your itt and also through the process was that something you were always keeping in mind and uh something you were factoring in um a little bit i don't know i i didn't want to focus too much on it because i think it's actually the only other rider to do it single speed she did it as an ITT I don't know anything about her ITT whether she toured it or whether she raced it so I wasn't really I didn't think about it too much I think other people thought about it more than me actually um they were like oh you know you'll you'll be able to take the single speed record and things but or you'll be able to give that a good go but yeah I I didn't think about that too much I guess I just wanted I was choosing a setup that I thought I could race the other competitors with in the in the group start that was and I like I said I didn't want to and I was I, yeah so it was like the first thing was 
to complete the route. That was what I wanted to do the most. And the second thing was to kind of be like respectable, get a respectable time and position and things. Um, So, yeah, and a simplest way to kind of reduce mechanicals is to go single speed. So, um, just uh, if you're willing to abuse your body a little bit more, you can (laughs) (laughs) you can go single speed. (laughs) Yeah, I think speeding it does it spreads out everything it's not just about like mechanicals it's like i think by training single speed you're using your whole body like to get up so you end up with like a stronger core um and overall body strength whereas if you're just sat in the saddle like kind of choosing the gear that your body knows best you end up like kind of you know it's, it's all about your legs and um, you're not kind of spreading the the load around your body. Yeah, I think I think it makes you strong. Um, and also you get off and walk a little bit sooner, which um, I don't think it's such a bad thing on such a long um, such a long thing. I was quite glad sometimes when I was like, oh, now it's time to give up, and then I would get off and have a bit of a walk, and I was quite glad of that change before I would get back on again. Uh, so. Yeah, and it's a forced recovery while you're riding. You know, like you're like I. Yeah, and then when you're spinning, like on the flat sections and the easier sections, I definitely think it is beneficial to spin your legs out sometimes. And I don't know if you had gears, if you would actually do that, you would probably just be pushing on and pushing on and trying to kind of keep on top of whatever you could. But um, yeah, it. So I think there's benefits that people don't maybe realize. Um, Yeah. Yeah, forced recovery, that's a good way to look at it, both, you know, spinning out and also with hike a bike, uh, pushing your bike, whatever. It's forced recovery. It's time where you'll be using different muscles. And uh, the more you can kind of distribute the the weight, so to speak, uh, you know, I can just see it, you know, making a lot more sense, especially for an endurance effort. And I mean, we've seen time and time again, where really the difference between single speed and geared bikes on a lot of races like this and an endurance sport, uh, it's, it's fairly negligible. Um, uh, Bailey Newbury was, I, I think he's famous for saying on, on my podcast, that he thinks that the overall record for tour divide can be taken down on a single speed. Um, it hasn't happened yet, but it speaks to his belief and the idea that, you know, uh, there's a great, the, the, the margin between single speed and a geared bike is not as great as maybe people perceive it to be. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And you proved it. <laughs> you're just, I mean, you're another, uh, you're another example that we can point to of, um, I mean, I think it depends on the route, obviously, but on on pretty gnarly routes, um, it, it doesn't seem to be like a uh, like a real negative thing. You know, it's just it is more um, man. But I was going to say it's more physically demanding. Yes, your body's absorbing more of the trail, but from a geared standpoint, like you said, you're re- you're actually giving your body some relief, so it may be less demanding physically in in some ways. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and yeah, you can't kind of like some climbs you get them over with because you just have to if you're if you are willing to pedal and and like yeah 
you know get to the top on whilst riding the bike then it can yeah it can get up there significantly faster than if you had a really easy gear to just spin away and and yeah so I think there's there's pros and cons but um I pros and cons yeah you gotta pick the bike that suits you yeah so what was your favorite day or moment or experience that you had on the Highland Trail Mm. (laughs) uh finishing (laughs) 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 um no that's a good answer (laughs) I think oh there's probably like two best days but um I'll go for the 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 northern loop I hadn't done so I was saying that I'd wreckied some of the course over the winter and um but yeah there was a few bits I hadn't done and I hadn't done the whole of the northern loop so the have you seen the kind of picture of the course it's almost like um three loops but right you kind of go up one side and then down the other so I don't know how you describe that best but um so there's a sort of top loop that you do um and yeah it was just uh just really blew me away it was just like really amazing kind of mountains totally different to anything I'd seen before and the rock was just like really stunning like huge big sort of stripes like black stripes and sort of shiny glistening bits and obviously I hit it on a good day so there was nice sunlight on it and everything um the riding itself was like not amazing there's a lot of I mean it's it's quite nice riding into the hills until you had to push up and then it was quite haggy and you had to you could ride little bits in between but a lot of like lifting and um dropping the bike at one point to get it down a peat hag and then steeply up the other side but the whole yeah just being in that landscape it was just so wild and um yeah amazing to that was up in the area where you uh vacationed with your family isn't it the yeah so yeah we've been on vacation but like we'd been to the beaches and i'd been on really short gravel rides like very short just um Actually, I sometimes just rode to the beach and they drove to the beach or or I think I, I went up a couple of tracks for like 20 minutes when I have just, you know, in the evening and things. But um, yeah, even just driving through that area is stunning. It's just like nowhere else. Um, it's like, yeah, the rock and the all the water. There's like lochens everywhere. It almost feels like you're sort of in the sea and um, but surrounded by mountains so yeah I really enjoyed that just it was all new and um amazing and so that's that's the longest section you go without a shop um and I unlike when you do the event the shop wouldn't stay late open late for me I did I did phone and ask if they would like because <laughs> in the event if you're a bit late they let you knock the door of the house next door and they'll come and like open the shop but they were like, oh no, you know, we're we shut at five, basically. They said if you're if you're nearby and you're just gonna be a little bit late, give us a phone call. But they weren't gonna keep it open till late for me. Anyway, but um it turned out I made really good time through the northern loop. Um and I had loads of time by the time I got to the road, I had loads of time to get to the shop. Um and so there was a I realised I was passing a really nice hotel, which I'd actually been to with a friend uh, who'd helped me out with the cancer treatment. And we'd, we'd been there a few years before, or two years before. And I, 
knew they did really good food. So um, I treat. I just kind of rewarded myself with the extra time that I like had, and the um, amazing ride that I'd had. I went to this really nice pub for um, it's called Kyleski Hotel for like a brilliant sort of lunch and uh, pint of coke and espresso, and felt amazing after it. Um, so maybe that's yeah. the the best moment that that meal yeah yeah, yeah it was just and I got served really quickly as well I thought oh it, it looked really busy I thought oh no I'm gonna end up with a really long wait but I was still I was as long as they were gonna serve me I was prepared to wait but it, the, food, <laughs> the food was amazing and it arrived really fast and um so yeah it was definitely an hour well spent in that it, it, they didn't serve you quickly because they wanted to get you out of there was it I, well <laughs> that's funny because I just take my things off <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was sat in the corner, um, and I, yeah, I, I just had to get my shoes off, and I just I just looked at the floor, didn't look anyone in the eye, and took them off, and nobody said anything. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, that but, is so funny. Uh, I did. There's a few people did look when I walked to the toilets, and I was in my bare feet, but. Um, yeah, they let dogs in, so I figured. <laughs> <laughs> if I let dogs in, they'll let me in. That's a good. That's a good uh, rule of thumb to live by. Yeah. So um, I feel like this is obviously I, I feel like like a really big personal challenge uh, for you to like take on after a lot of you know personal challenges and stuff. Have you had time to process it and, and, and how meaningful is it to have accomplished it and not only finished it, but have a, a really great time as well? Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it's been, I think it's actually a month to the day since I finished. Um, it was 20th of September today, isn't it? So, yeah, I don't know. I think at first I wasn't sure what to think. Um I was like really pleased to get to the finish and complete it, but I wasn't sure if I'd like done something amazing or not. I don't, I don't know. I didn't really know what. Yeah, I was tired, obviously, <laughs> but I really liked like when I finished. I had two good, really good friends there, and I, I just loved that. Like next, sort of twelve to twenty four hours, just hanging out with them and talking about it because both of them really understood the uh, the event. Like Christine had done the route in in May, and then. It was another friend, Ali, who'd, who'd sort of toured some of it before. So both of them really understood. Um, yeah. So, I'd, like, I love the just the feeling of finishing on the day and then reflecting on it. Yeah, I've had a bit of a chance to think about it. And actually, that bikepacking.com asking me to write about it has been really good because um, I probably wouldn't have. I don't I was writing some notes down of, like, trying to remember some of the interesting things that happened and, like sleep deprivation stories and things like that um but yeah it was nice to actually be forced to write something with a start a middle and an end and uh, finish yeah I'm chuffed and I'm chuffed and I suppose mostly about like doing it on my own and actually just like being stubborn enough to get out there and and do that it was a bit of a whirlwind um being yeah being on that route it was strange. Yeah, I don't know. I just I'd watched all yeah, I'd watched all those dots and me and going around what I wanted to do. And then I was out there, but it was only me. Um and I was aware how, you know, 
I was aware like sort of the pace that other people had done it at in May so I guess I had a bit of a virtual race going on like um yeah I yeah I, mean, I didn't let it become a, a race but I was aware of like where other people would have got to on night one or night two um and I suppose I uh thought about that but yeah I'm chuffed I'm chuffed with um did you uh looking back on it are you surprised with yourself are you proud of yourself what do you what do you walk away from or what do you with i should say yeah yeah i think um especially like thinking back to like two years ago i wouldn't have even been happy going well i went for a bivy on my own like for the first time near the house and um and that same year, like I'd never done a really long ride, like not like really, really long distance ride. Um, and then, yeah, to go out on my own and and kind of look after myself and uh, deal with. I didn't have much bike issues at all, but yeah, there's there was like noises on the bike which could have really stressed me out. Um, but I just kind of calmly gave everything a bit of a clean and and kept everything running smooth and um yeah it was chuffed with how I dealt with that and sleeping out on my own like it was totally fine I was so tired by the time I went to bed and it didn't matter <laughs> um so, yeah I guess I yeah I'm looking back at where I've come in the last few years and like you say from the kind of um health like from a few years ago having the cancer it was yeah three years ago I would have been diagnosed with breast cancer. So, yeah, I'm definitely pleased to be where I am. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What uh, what has this experience opened up or unlocked for you? Are you thinking about other events? Are you, I mean, now you know you can do it. Does that kind of unlock in you this desire to, to keep pushing or... Or is it too soon? <laughs> You're just like, I yeah. want a break. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I think I would like, I do feel a bit like I missed out not being at the group start. Um, so when I finished a few weeks or a month ago, when I finished the route on my own, I sort of, uh, Christine said, so, you, you know, that was your recce for next year. And I was like, no way, no way. Like <laughs> that, that was it like that I've done it now but yeah the more I think about it the more I'm like, oh, I kind of do feel like I missed out on not doing it as part of the event and that just that community and um the sort of I think it'll be totally different being out there with other people um yeah so and as for something but yeah the other part of me is like well maybe I'd prefer to do a different challenge like see somewhere different or yeah um so it won't be the last thing I do, <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't worked out what next. Well, does, yeah. uh, does your husband Colin get the next, uh, adventure? So do y'all ping pong and now he gets to pick one or, or what? Uh, yeah, maybe. Well, he, he would, he's now inspired to do the Island Trail and, and he's 40. Um, but he, Actually, not he. He kind of did a big thing this year. He did something called the Ramsey Round and um, a sub sub twenty four hours. He he'd done a lot of training all winter, and that it was a pretty big achievement for him. So, um, yeah. But he might if he's comparing the number of days out 
doing adventure, then maybe he's got a few to cash in. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the Highland Trail is obviously a, quite a long one. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Um, so it's uh, getting close to 10 o'clock where you are. What uh, what does your life look like? You uh, got to get up early and get kids ready for school or what? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, school and playgroup. But we're luckily we just live around the corner from the school. So like, yeah, the kids don't actually need to get up that early um, compared to other our kids are getting up when other kids are getting on the bus. So, um, yeah, they're quite lucky. Uh, yeah, Man, my uh, youngest one, we got to get up at 6.30 because she has to be there at 7.30. Oh, wow. Which just seems like early, really that, early. Is, is that school starting? Is that a kind of childcare? Is that like pre? That's uh, elementary school. So she's a kindergartner. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, our start at nine. Um nine till three so oh yeah, god i later. wish yeah. i wish Man. yeah they're getting up yeah, I, um, well good then then you can still enjoy some of your evening uh before you have yeah, to go to sleep too. and yeah yeah we should probably get to bed earlier but like yeah you can kind of get away with staying up till 11 or something still well, like i said man this is like your only free time as a parent is to like enjoy these hours after they go to bed so you got to maximize them you know yeah, as I get older, it gets less and less. I can, like, I'm worried about, <laughs> a bit worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. They start staying up late. Well, I'll let you go. I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. It was a joy to talk to you. And uh, I was really inspired by your story and your effort. And yeah, again, I just appreciate you sharing it with, with my audience. And hopefully it inspires some other uh, people to go out there and do cool shit on their bike. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, yeah, that's why I, that's why I kind of thought it'd be a good idea. Um, so yeah, hopefully it inspires some other other folk. Yeah. Well, next uh, people are going to be listening to your podcast and then going out and maybe beating your record or trying to. We'll see what happens. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> that's what records are there for, isn't it? It's to, that's right. Yeah. Little Scotland competition. I like it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for asking me or inviting me to the podcast. Oh, of course. I was so glad you said yes. When I read that article, I was like, I I mean, just as a parent, I know how hard it is to to carve out the time to train and be away from your family and all that. So um, it's it's a whole extra element of of accomplishing something like this that I find inspiring. And I think it's important that other parents and people with what, whatever you have going on in your life, we all have different challenges or, or hurdles that we have to overcome. And um, yeah, so I think those Im- stories are important and I think they, they help resonate with people. And the more examples we have of humans going out doing cool stuff and overcoming challenges, I think the better. So thank you. Cool. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye now. All right. All right. All right. Thanks everybody for tuning into today's episode and a big shout out goes to Gemma, not only for joining us all the way from Scotland, but for setting an absolutely amazing time on the Highland Trail 550. I have no doubt that her story will resonate, reverberate, and inspire 
more riders, uh, whether they tackle this route or their own adventure, there's no doubt in my mind that her story will inspire many. All right, well, speaking of inspirational stories, next week, have you heard about the 13-year-old that just completed the Idaho Smoke and Fire 400? Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't want to butcher his name. I think it's Eden. I'll ask him whenever we chat. But he just completed the Idaho Smoke and Fire 400 in sixth place at the age of 13. No matter what place he got, just completing that route at the age of 13, I think is absolutely mind-blowing. To to think that he got sixth place out of a field of 83 is just unfathomable. And so I cannot wait to have him on the episode. Uh, Look out for that one next week. And then after that, um, I'm going to be sharing an episode that I record while I ride the new route for the East Texas Showdown. Uh, I'm going to be riding the Lowdown route. It's 170 miles, and this route is designed to be a non-competitive bikepacking ride. So for the East Texas Showdown, there's going to be a group of us that ride it, camp, drink beer, sing songs around a campfire, and then find our way back to the bullet the next day. And no one has ridden this route yet. And so next week, I'm going to take it on myself. I'm going to be recording a podcast. So if you have questions for me, uh, really about anything, you can ask me anything. and I'll answer while I'm riding or, or whenever. But if you have questions about the route or the East Texas Showdown, uh, go ahead and send them to me. It's a little scary to kind of interview yourself. I kind of like being in the driver's seat and interviewing other people, but I think it's time for me to turn the microphone on myself and ask myself some hard questions. I think I should ask myself some easy ones too. I don't want to make it too hard on myself, but uh, give me some fodder. Let me know what interests you and what you'd like to know about. Send me an email to bikes at bikesordeath.com and uh, help me put on an amazing show for that episode. All right. Well, let's close out today's episode with a quote that I recently heard just yesterday, actually. Let me pull it up. This quote is by Carl Jung, and he says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. I'll be honest, I had to read that one a couple times. So let me read it again for you. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. Tell you what, I love a good quote, and this one really hit me hard. Speaking of good quotes, if you have any that you'd like me to read on the podcast, or if you'd like to submit your own in an audio format, I'd love to hear them. Don't just let me pick all the quotes. If you have something you'd like to share with the audience, please send them to me. You can always email me at bikes or bikesordeath.com. All right, everybody, thank you so much for being here. It is always a pleasure, and y'all make this the best job in the world. I'll see you next week, but until then, don't forget, go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before.
was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself just a few more miles. Bikes or death. Bikes or death.